Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Chris Raybon is still on vacation. He returns next episode. But on this pod, as always, is Sean Corner. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And joining us is... An old friend, someone who grinds harder than almost anyone in the industry, I'm talking about Matt Harmon, a football writer and analyst for Yahoo Sports and the creator of Reception Perception. Matt, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk today. You know, we're kind of right at the beginning, you know, the precipice of the season where I like to say that the wave hits us and then takes us underwater and we pop back up in January and it's, oh, where the hell did the last five months go? But uh, <laughs> I'm really excited uh, to, for the season and I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk to you guys today. Yeah, great to have you on the show, and it really is an exciting time, uh, although I'm going to be honest. I am not uh, in peak form right now. I think my godchildren got me sick, uh, either them or the duck egg that was part of my dinner last night. So right now, either way, I'm not too hot on children or ducks, but uh, I am powering through the podcast, you know, like uh, Dirk Nowitzki playing with the flu in the NBA Finals. That is the level of professionalism I'm bringing to this podcast, just in terms of health-related overperformance. So, uh, Mr. Harmon, I'm glad that you could be here to witness the true heroism uh, that I will bring, uh, but also obviously glad you are here to talk about wide receivers. We are on a stone cold heater, although I don't know if a heater can be stone cold, but in this instance it is. Uh, and it is because of the awesome NFL guests that we've had recently. We had on Jeff Ratcliffe and Evan Silva to talk about quarterbacks. Last episode, we had on JJ Zacharyson to break down tight ends. Be sure to check out those shows, maybe rate and review them on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And in this episode, we're going to talk with Matt about how he approaches wide receivers and fantasy uh, and also about reception perception which is his scouting methodology for pass catchers and then we're going to break down the top 12 fantasy wide receivers of 2019 by average draft position let's jump into it first i should just say we are recording it on friday july 19th and as we are recording it news broke that tyree kill will not be facing a suspension so matt this is a really big news item. One of the biggest news items of the offseason. So now that Tyreek Hill uh, is seemingly going to be playing 16 games this year, where are you sliding him in in your rankings? Uh, what is your outlook for him? Yeah, I mean, this is huge. And, you know, if I would be remiss to say that it doesn't feel weird. Uh, like, I was pretty surprised that no suspension was was going to be handed down. I, I was expecting just over the tone of the last few weeks, like, yeah, that, that it wasn't going to be as big as what we thought originally. Like, you know, he wasn't going to get cut by the Chiefs. He wasn't going to, you know, be suspended for an entire season or something like that. Like, this wasn't going to be an Adrian Peterson, uh, you know, whatever that year was, 2014, 2015. I think it was 2014. Like, it wasn't going to be one of those type of situations where he just vanished from the, the landscape for an entire season. But I was expecting some sort of a suspension. So to get, it, to, to get it to be nothing is pretty stunning. You know, looking through this list right now of, of wide receivers, I think you take Tyreek Hill, you know, just around like wide receiver five or six. I think I would take him over Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Evans, uh, Antonio Brown, 
T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Green, those type of names I have. I think I'd slot Tyreek Hill clearly above him. And I think Tyreek Hill is so fascinating. And we'll talk about reception perception uh, a little bit later. But, you know, when you have some, something that you're known for, like reception perception, you get credited for certain, like, discoveries or whatever. You know, some of them I care more or less about. You know, people always go back to Allen Robinson. is like, oh, that was a big hit for the series. You know, Tyler Lockett finally broke through last year. But Tyreek Hill was one that many, you know, many years ago after his rookie season, it was really commonplace to hear some analysts say like, oh, well, he's just a gadget player. You know, he's not going to be, he's like Cordero Patterson 2.0, Tavon Austin, whatever. Like, but I think this is just shows the utility of reception perception because he was a player in the series that even in his 2016 rookie season, he wasn't running a ton of routes, but when he was running routes, he was creating consistent separation, running some advanced routes, you know, again, small sample, but at a really, really proficient rate you know he's over like 80 percent success rate against press coverage you know throughout his entire career and really great separator you know across the field not just on deep routes so I think just the fact like he is it's always worth mentioning that he is truly not just some speed freak he is a superstar receiver from a route running perspective and you know that's why I would take him as high as I would in fantasy now that we know he's going to be there for all 16 games you know seemingly Sean, we've updated our projections and rankings uh, to take this news into account. And uh, I have him ranked number five. You have Tyreek Hill ranked number seven. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what is going into your projection? Yeah, so I've actually updated it since then. Uh, Once the dust settled, I went in and updated further. And I actually have him basically tied with Julio Jones at four or five right now. But yeah, I, I went in, um, well, the past couple of weeks, I've been moving him up anyway. So I was expecting, you know, like a two to four game suspension. So I'd updated a lot of the periphery receivers um, since then. But with the Tyreek Hill news, um, I moved him up to four or five, basically tied with Julio and Juju, uh, that tier. But then I, you know, I moved down Sammy Watkins. He's closer to wide receiver 35 for me. Demarcus Robinson and Michael Hardman are no longer late round flyers, in my opinion. Um, Travis Kelsey, I, I bumped down a little bit, but he's still, you know, by far my tight end one. And then um, Patrick Mahomes, I, I gave him just a little bit of a boost. So, you know, he's he's separating a little bit further um, in his own QB1 tier. But, you know, with, with the kind of news kind of shaping up to be this way, I've been slowly updating them the past couple weeks. But, um, yeah, it's a big boost for the Chiefs offense as, as a whole. Obviously, Tyreek Hill will be uh, by the end of the offseason. He will be in the top 12 at the position by ADP. Of course, he's not there yet, uh, so we're not going to talk about him anymore on the show. But obviously, this is a podcast uh, episode on the top 12 players at the position, so we had to mention him. Matt, you mentioned reception perception and what it noted about Tyreek Hill after his rookie season. Can you talk about reception perception, your route running, charting methodology, the factors you focus on, and uh, how your process has changed since you started sure so for those not familiar reception perception is as Friedman mentioned is uh, the methodology that I developed to kind of try to evaluate route running and wide receiver play I've been doing this now for five NFL seasons which is great by the way because you mentioned what the process has changed I think the process hasn't necessarily changed but the learnings that the series has given me 
or what I've discovered from it, that's really evolved over the last five years. Like, for example, there are things that I would say based on reception perception data, you know, two or three years ago that I would absolutely never say today. And that's just, we all know this working with data, the more you have to work with, the smarter you become, the deeper understanding you have of what you're looking at. And reception perception, obviously, is something that I started five years ago. And, you know, if I was really, if I was to truly approach this from like an academic standpoint, I probably would have wanted to have five years worth of data before ever like coming out with any opinions on it. But of course, that doesn't work for our audience because, you know, football fans don't care unless there's a take. <laughs> so obviously, uh, there has to be some, there has to be something there. So I've been talking about it for all these last five years. But anyways, but so reception perception, I'm really trying to quantify the qualitative reality of route running. So what I do is over an eight game sample for NFL players, I'll go and chart every single route that they run in that eight game sample. I chart what type of routes they're running the most, uh, how often they get open on each route, how often uh, they're most successful against man zone press coverage. So really I'm trying to evaluate who they are as a route runner and then try to quantify what, like what type of receiver they really are. So that's something that I think the series has evolved more into is really putting receivers into a typological perspective um, you know, cause we know that the roles of this position are so different from player to player. And, you know, there, it's been great to track certain guys throughout their entire career. And again, just continuing to evolve my thoughts on the position and what some of these success rate means, you know, per, we, we could talk about a player like DJ Moore, who we're not going to talk about in this episode, but he has very poor success rate versus man and press coverage metrics. But I no longer think that that means he's going to be a bad player because of the role that he's going to fit into. So that's the type of thing, just quick example. And we actually, there is a player we will talk about later that I can kind of expand on this thought process with, but yeah. So basically yeah, trying to quantify uh, the qualitative realities of route running at the NFL level. All right. So for the wide receiver position, do you have a, a set strategy that you tend to use in your fantasy drafts? Uh, do you like to hit the position early? Do you like to go wide receivers, maybe in the middle rounds because you're so familiar with the position? Or do you just kind of let the draft come to you? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I like to employ a lot of different strategies because I'm doing so many different drafts, especially from a best ball perspective. You know, I'm hitting, I'm hitting it hard and I'm hitting it heavy, you know. So in – the wide receiver position specifically, or I do like to take players early, you know, especially this year, it's a little bit of a back and forth because if you get one of those top four picks and you can land a stud running back, even, even a top five pick, because I kind of throw David Johnson into this group as well. And you can land one of those high end elite workhorses that I think we're all consensus opinion on. Then you can come back around on the two, three turn and get a player like an AJ Green or a Stefan Diggs and make those your wide receiver one and two, that's a really tempting proposition. But then, as you mentioned, I'm so familiar with the position that there is some benefit to going running back early and then not trying to mess around with what I think is a really rough, rough group of running backs in rounds five to eight this year. I probably say that every year, but this year specifically feels like every time I'm on the clock in rounds five to eight, there's maybe two or three running backs that I feel a high degree of confidence in and it's just tough to build a roster around those players. So I think it's a little bit of a give and take because I love having high end studs at the position. And I think that really helps you build a strong roster from a week to week perspective because of the reliable target volume. But um, I will sometimes default to that familiarity with the position, as you mentioned. Sean, it seems like uh, Matt is speaking your language, uh, referencing uh, what you've dubbed the frozen pond here of running backs uh, in, in the middle rounds. How are you approaching wide receivers this year? Is it similar to the way Matt is? Yeah, and, you know, I, I slammed on the, the RB2 tier all of last year, but I actually like it this year. And so, you know, wide receiver, I'm actually really aggressive. I try to get 
um, at least two of what I consider, you know, the elite wide receiver one tier. Probably it's probably eight or nine guys right now uh, with Tyreek Hill um, now not suspended. Um, so I'm really aggressive. I try to get two of those top nine. Um, just because, you know, w- when it comes to in-season management, I'm really good at stashing running backs, getting those um, waiver wire gems. Uh, and then, you know, at the end of the year, I had some championship teams where I had Damian Williams, CJ Anderson, Gus Edwards. You know, I'm confidently starting them in the championship match, but you just don't get that at wide receiver. You can't really pick up a wide receiver one in season. So that's why I like to just spend my, you know, highest draft capital on wide receivers as possible. Matt mentioned, um, you know, if you have the first four or five picks, you're taking a stud running back and then you can get two of these, like um, I call them like premier wide receiver two guys, or at the end of the draft, um, you know, picks, I would even as soon as six now with Melvin Gordon kind of uh, questionable right now, um, you know, picks six through 12 in a standard draft, you get two of these elite wide receiver ones. So I'm, I'm all about loading up at wide receiver early this year. All right, Matt, who is the wide receiver that you've gotten the most of in drafts so far? And then who's the wide receiver that you are really looking to stay away from? Yeah, there's a couple answers for who I've been getting the most of, but I think the one that I keep defaulting to, and I mentioned him earlier in the episode, is Allen Robinson. Um, I'm a big, big fan of his. I have been for a long time. And, you know, last year, uh, we know this was his first year with the Bears. We know that sometimes receivers can produce a little slower in their first year with new teams. But I thought from a route running perspective, this was his best year since that 2015 season. You know, 2016 was admittedly, and he would say this himself, was a slower season for him as an individual. It wasn't just Blake Bortles, but, you know, he was back up towards that 78th percentile in reception, perception, and success rate versus man coverage. And that was even with him clearly playing not 100%. We saw in the playoffs him get back out there and play at a really high level uh, against the Eagles in that loss. But I think that's what we're going to see more of Allen Robinson going from this year. And then when I look at where he goes off the board in drafts, he's the most, to me, the most established high-end potential number one wide receiver of that group you know he was going around I mean by the way we're talking about Tyree Kill earlier you know RIP to everybody who was drafting Sammy Watkins as as like he was going to get some full-time wide receiver one dude because I don't even think he's a good enough player at this point to warrant that but I think Robinson kind of going off the same range in drafts as uh as Sammy Watkins I think Robinson can still be that player so for me he's one I've been absolutely locking in where he was going and you know Watkins I mentioned him earlier he was definitely and avoid for me but also there's I don't I and this is not about the player that I've been avoiding this guy but I have not been drafting Kenny Galladay really where he goes um I like the target volume potential I just really hate the offense um and they're just you know sometimes I think this is what's so great about best ball is that like it makes you put your feet to the fire of like yeah theoretically I like the outlook of Kenny Galladay I really like the player that Kenny Galladay has become but there's just always someone else in his range that I'm rather I'm going to rather click on their name than his name at that either the running back position or the wide receiver position. Yeah, interesting there. Um, and I, I definitely get the the perspective that you're saying that in theory you could like a player, but still like a player in that draft range more and just not end up with uh, any of the first guy. Let's talk about uh, these top twelve wide receivers. Let's start with DeAndre Hopkins who uh, by most uh, ADP measures is the first wide receiver off the board, usually going in the middle of the first round. 
there are some questions, uh, not in terms of his ability, but just in terms of the impact that Will Fuller and Kiki QT will have, uh, how many games those guys will play, and uh, the target share that they might potentially take away uh, from DeAndre Hopkins. But still, a, a guy locked in who seems to be uh, a yearly producer in a very high-end way. What are your thoughts on Hopkins? Yeah, I was happy to see on the outline that you mentioned this question about Kiki Cutie and, and Will Fuller because I think this is actually a conversation worth having, and I don't feel like I've heard many people talking about it. I know Liz, Liz Loza and I on our Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast talked about it a couple, a couple of weeks ago, and you know, ever since then I've been kind of thinking more and more about it because, look, number one, DeAndre Hopkins is a stud. He's an alpha receiver. Actually, last year in reception perception was his best season. Uh, he finished at the 82nd percentile in success rate versus man coverage. It's the highest mark he's reached over the last three seasons, and which is wild because – you know, separation is not even the strength of his game. I think anybody that casually watches him knows like the way he works the boundary, the way he works uh, the ball in tight spaces, that that's kind of the the peak point of his game. So to see him only continue to get better as a separator is just great. I mean, yeah, he's a total alpha, but Will Fuller and Kiki Cutie fit such specific roles and such valuable roles, uh, respectively. They are with Cutie. He's, he's that kind of slot receiver that's a speed guy. And I think that he can only continue to grow as he gets healthy. Um, the way they were able to work him against his own coverage consistently last year when he was playing, from a reception perception standpoint, the way he was used was really similar to uh, Cooper Cup in L.A. You know, the way they just get those layup receptions. If that continues into this year, I think that only becomes a more valuable role for an offense that does ask Deshaun Watson to make a rather high amount of high de degree of difficulty throws. And because of Will Fuller's presence, of course, there's a lot of that. You know, and, and he's just so good as that vertical receiver. And I thought – he was even better last year getting off press coverage than I've, than I've seen in the last few years. So I do think it's a conversation worth having if Hopkins, you know, sees a slightly smaller share of the targets this year. And, and that's why when you're kind of breaking ties at the top of the receiver group, I actually tend to like the number two receiver that we're going to talk about here as my top receiver this year. Sean, uh, you, Rayvon, and I all have Hopkins ranked in the top three. Uh, I think it would be reasonable for anyone to just kind of in a default way take Hopkins as the number one receiver. But what is it that you are seeing uh, in the projections you're creating for him? Well, I, right now I have uh, Devontae number one. I, I basically have them tied. Um, but I, I agree with Matt. I think the tiebreaker for me goes to Adams. Um, we, we talked about QT and Fuller. Um, you know, they're going to impact his target share a bit. And we actually have a sample size of weeks four through seven last year. All three were active. Um, and those happen to be uh, two of Hopkins' best receiving yard games and two of his lowest. I think they just kind of um, widen his range of outcomes because there's going to be some times where they, they cut into his target share. And there's going to be times where, you know, they allow him to not be double teamed and get open. So I think, um, you know, ultimately he's going to arrive at the same place, probably top two by the end of the year, but it's just going to widen his range of outcomes a bit. So I do like Adams in the sense that he does provide more of a higher week to week floor. Um, and just the fact that Rogers was banged up last year, only threw for 25 touchdowns. I'm looking for him to improve a bit this year. And, you know, just Adams by default is going to benefit from that. So, so right now, even though I have them tied, uh, giving the benefit uh, to, of the doubt to Adams, but they're, they're definitely in their own little mini uh, wide receiver one tier at the top. Uh, I wouldn't really consider anybody else to be taken first overall at the position. Let's talk about Adams. Matt, uh, you mentioned him as someone you 
probably prefer to uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And it's hard to deny just how outstanding Adams has been recently, especially last year. What do you make of his, his, his progression? Because I think it's, it's relatively rare for a guy to improve the way that he has improved in the NFL consistently. Years one and two, he was a near bust. Years three and four, he was a touchdown, a touchdown dependent uh, kind of surprise producer. And then last year he was, arguably the best wide receiver in the league. Um, what do you make of his progression? But then also, what do you think we're going to see out of this offense with new head coach Matt LaFleur? And what do you think we're going to see with Aaron Rodgers? Seemingly, people think that uh, he is starting to decline, enter the kind of latter years of his career, and maybe that will impact Adams. Just general thoughts on him. Yeah, I love to talk about Devonte Adams because I think – Reception perception can help quantify exactly what, what you're saying. And also, it's so rare. You know, I'm, like you said, this is a rare progression because as I've been doing this for five years, what I've noticed is that these career success rates, especially for guys that like from that 2014 rookie class that I've tracked their entire careers, you know, over the course of the last five seasons, these numbers are pretty stable in terms of success rate versus man press. Uh, those numbers are very, very they, they tend to hold pretty, pretty well year over year with some minor fluctuation, but you never see anybody do something like Devontae Adams has done. So in his 2014 season, uh, Adams' success rate versus man coverage fell at the third percentile. Success rate versus zone coverage, first percentile. Success rate versus press, 11th percentile. So literally at the just about the bottom there in most of those metrics. But then this past season, as you mentioned, 2018, success rate versus man, 99th percentile, one of the top three scores ever collected success rate versus zone 94th percentile success rate versus press 92nd percentile so literally from the bottom all the way to the top has Devonte adams gone in terms of route running precision getting open creating separation and just straight up being a good receiver because he was one of those players that got a boost in fantasy stock you know when jordy nelson went down with the torn acl in his second season but he just wasn't ready to be that player but now he has become that player. And as I mentioned, that is so, so rare to see from, from any receiver. And it, it, I, I can't think of anyone else that even comes close from a reception perception standpoint to doing what Devontae Adams has done. So I would like to laud as much praise on the player as I possibly can for that because that's just stunning to see in these metrics that I've been collecting. And coming into this year, the reason that I like him more than DeAndre Hopkins is while we're talking about you know Will Fuller and, and Kiki Cutie as guys that have resumes and I think are clearly fitting into into specific roles and I think we'll dig into the target share there Adams doesn't have that because I think you can like a player like Marquez Valdez Scantling but beyond that I mean and even with him there's nothing established here you know Jimmy Graham is 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 kind of toast at this point I mean Rand Rogers even said it himself like I'd like to throw to Devontae Adams more and I know that's just you know player speaking but like I, I believe it because he's that good of a player compared to what else is on the roster and I kind of like the idea of you know, Matt LaFleur installing this offense for Aaron Rodgers in kind of the closing years of his career, because I think that at its best, I think it's tough to judge LaFleur on what happened in Tennessee last year, because I think the quarterback position is just so broken there that I do think that creating more layup throws for Rodgers. And, and if he buys in, I think the system could be really good for everybody involved. And uh, just just a real quick thing to point out with just Hopkins and Adams in general. Um, one of the things that makes them just fancy gods in my mind is what they did back in 2017 when um, Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers both missed over half the season. They both maintained wide receiver one numbers with, you know, Hopkins had TJ Yates and Tom mm -hmm. Savage thrown to him and Devontae Adams had Brett Hundley. So being able to be QB proof like that makes them just 
you know, locks for me. And we could talk about him later, but Antonio Brown has not been one of those guys who has kind of needed a good quarterback throwing the ball. That was a uh, very nice tease of something we're going to talk about later. Uh, Sean, I mean, I think whether you go with Adams or with Hopkins, you're basically grabbing a guy, as you mentioned, who is very likely to be quarterback proof to have a high floor. One thing that does give me a little bit of pause with Adams is that even though he, uh, he doesn't have a, a receiver of the caliber of Will Fuller or probably even Kiki Kuti playing with him. Um, he still is in this unknown situation of Matt LaFleur, and it's possible that LaFleur could be great for this offense, but it's also possible that LaFleur could be really bad and this offense could uh, suffer in a way that people don't anticipate. Whereas with DeAndre Hopkins, we have a pretty solid idea of what that offense is going to look like. What do you think we're going to see with Matt LaFleur as the new head coach? Yeah, I think that's fair to kind of have a little bit of uncertainty. He he really hasn't proven himself to be the, the guru that, um, you know, coming up under McVay and Shanahan that, you know, we might see out of him. But yeah, Matt mentioned, you know, he had his hands behind his back of Tennessee last year. There's only so much he could do. So I'm not too concerned uh, when it comes to Adams with him or even Rodgers. I'm kind of looking at, you know, how he views sort of, um, you know, Geronimo Allison or Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I'm kind of monitoring how he's shaping up this offense and who might benefit from that. Um, so I'm waiting for training camp and, you know, preseason to kind of evaluate where I want to invest um, in the periphery guys. But, you know, if he doesn't get Adams the ball, he'll be fired by week three. So uh, I'm not too worried about when it comes to Adams with, with LaFleur, even though, you know, there is some downside that, you know, he, he could be a bit overrated. And I think it's a little bit premature giving him a head coaching at, at this point. But with, with Rodgers and Adams, I'm not letting it impact uh, my decisions yet anyway. All right. One of the next guys off the board is Michael Thomas, uh, often drafted in rounds one or two. I mean, he was all-time efficient last year. And just in terms of, of a guy producing in years one through three, I don't know if we've ever seen anyone like outside of Randy Moss who's just been that immediately impactful in the league. Uh, But of course he is playing in something of a run heavy offense uh, relative to what we saw out of new Orleans in previous seasons. Matt, what do you think we're going to see out of Thomas this year? Yeah. Thomas is almost still kind of underrated in terms of like the pantheon of current NFL wide receivers, because I think there's still some like internet goofballs out there who think that like, he's just a product of Drew Brees because they don't watch the games. (laughs) Um, But Thomas to me is still like, he's one of the best receivers in the league clearly. And you could actually argue that his 2018 season in reception perception was the best that I've ever tracked. Uh, He finished number one all time in success rate versus man coverage, shattering Odell Beckham's previously held record in there with an 82.2% success rate versus man coverage. He was at the 98th percentile in success rate versus zone 97th percentile versus press um, and tacked on an 82.6% contested catch rate. And this is all while playing as much X receiver, you know, the outside alpha position as anyone else so I think he's a great player and as you mentioned it's worth talking about the fact that this offense is kind of transitioning a a little bit as Drew Brees ages the thing that I still like about Thomas's outlook even if the offense does become more run heavy which I think it will there's just really not much else going on in New Orleans in the pass catcher department you know there's just no one else. I mean, Traquan Smith, I like as a potential sleeper. Ted Ginn is still there, but really he and Kamara are the only two established players in the past catching core. And that to me leads me back to really still liking Thomas as an elite wide receiver one. All right. So Thomas is a high floor player, but I do have questions about his ceiling. So in the 
projections that we have at Action Network. Sean, you have him ranked uh, number eight. Uh, Raybon has him right there. I have him ranked number nine. I'm wondering if there's kind of this question of maybe what the the consensus opinion on him is and, and the, the idea of his upside versus uh, maybe the reality that he might not get the targets that uh, tend to sustain high-end success. You know, I have him eighth, but, you know, this this whole entire tier, if, if I went to the draft and you said, I'm going to just randomly pick two of these wide receivers for your team, I would take it. And if Thomas happens to be that guy, I'd be fine with it. But just when it comes to this group, I mean, he seems to have the profile of a high floor player, but he really wasn't last year. There's just some games where the defense is really good, so they just, you know, ground and pound, run the ball. There was uh, seven games Drew Brees threw for under 220 yards. So, you know, the bottom just really falls out of the passing game. So we saw five games last year where Mike Thomas failed to score at least five standard fancy points. So he was almost like a high ceiling, low floor type of player for, for an elite wide receiver one. I, I do not like that for my wide receiver one. I like stability, high floor guys. Um, so that's, that's why I have him a little bit farther down my rankings. But like you said, his, his efficiency last year was insane. He had the 85% catch rate. So I have it regressing down closer to 70. Um, so his receptions fall quite a bit for me. I have him at 104 right now. And, you know, last year the, the receivers were just awful behind him. So we have, you know, Jared Cook entering the mix. Um, Ted Ginn should be healthy. And then Traquan Smith should only grow in his second year. So I think that that'll cut into his targets a bit. Um, so with him, you kind of do rely on that volume. That's why I'm kind of have I have him at the bottom of this elite wide receiver one tier, but I still like him a lot. All right, let's talk about Julio, uh, another wide receiver. And I think what is actually a, a pretty stacked NFC South, um, Matt, Julio is maybe one of my favorite receivers of all time. Just he's been an absolute yardage accumulator ever since he entered the league. Uh, of course, he's now 30 years old. Uh, do you have any concerns about his age and then also potentially losing targets due to the development of Calvin Ridley in his second season? I don't really have any worries about Julio Jones. And I, I agree. I think I'd take, I think I'd have him as wide receiver three right now behind Adams and, and Hopkins. And I don't really have any concerns about Jones as an individual player. I haven't seen anything in reception perception the last few years to think that uh, that, that would be the case. Um, in 2018, he actually set a personal best um, in success rate versus man coverage. So I think still playing at a pristine elite level. And I like Calvin Ridley a lot. So I don't know that I think he's going to dig into the target. I think he really should kind of make Muhammad Sanu more irrelevant in that pass catching group, which that may or may not happen. But I think it would be like coaching malpractice on the part of Dirk Cutter and the Falcons if they don't make Ridley the clear number two receiver. Uh, because I think I think Ridley's so good right now that I think that they already form like a potential top five receiver duo in the league. Uh, Ridley uh, proved to be a pristine separator as a rookie, which I think was would have was not surprising to anyone that uh, scouted him in college. That was his clear strength. Um, he finished at, at the 93rd percentile success rate versus man coverage. Um, and also finished with an excellent 78% uh, success rate against press. So he really showed that he could play a lot of different roles. Being the number two, aside from Julio Jones, uh, makes his life a little easier. But I think these two are a really good tandem. And I agree with your point, man. Like the NFC South is stacked right now with not just top-end wide receivers and Jones and Thomas um, and Mike Evans, but we have potential breakout guys in Calvin Ridley and Chris Godwin. And then the Panthers duo, I love both of those players going forward. So like the NFC South right now, if you like wide receiver play, you have to like this division. It's really exciting. Sean, what do you think of Julio? I think he's the, the guy I have the most projected receiving yards for. 
Um, I've given up trying to project him for more than eight touchdowns. I think it's pretty clear he's going to uh, be right around his 7% touchdown rate. Although, you know, Dirk Cutter, the last or the only time he's scored double-digit touchdowns was, uh, I think, uh, 2012 when Dirk Cutter was the offensive coordinator. So maybe he can unlock that and, you know, involve him more uh, in the red zone. But, you know, I'm just penciling in Julio Jones for, um, you know, a ton of yards and seven to eight touchdowns. So I think it, it kind of caps his ceiling in that regard. But I'm not too worried about his age yet. Um, I think he should be fine. And uh, you know, I think having guys like Ridley – and, you know, I talked about him in the tight ends pod, but I think Austin Hooper could have a big year. So I think, you know, those guys uh, prevent defenses from, you know, loading up on Julio. So I think we're going to see another big season from him. Um, like I said, I, I would rather have him uh, third than a guy like Michael Thomas. All right, let's talk about Odell Beckham Jr., uh, he's maybe the wide receiver I am most excited about this year uh, who's in a, a new position. Um, but of course, there might be some concerns about his health. Um, he's transitioning to a new team, a new quarterback, a new environment. Uh, Matt, what do you think we're going to see out of him? Yeah, I th- I'm so excited. I'm with you. Uh, I tweeted right like days before this trade happened that if we did not get Odell Beckham's prime of his career, you know, ascend like intersect with that of a ascending young quarterback. It would be a form of football injustice. And for once in my life, something worked. <laughs> it worked out. You know, you say something, you wish for something to happen, and it happens. Uh, he goes to Cleveland. It's a perfect spot. Um, Beckham is. I think one of the three best route runners in the NFL, I think it's Stefan Diggs, Antonio Brown, and Odell Beckham are the top three. And you can mix those three up. I don't really care. Put, put them in any order you want. But I feel really confident in that top three. Uh, Beckham uh, posted a 79.8% success rate versus man coverage in 2018. Uh, that's a top five score all time. He's never finished below the 98th percentile um, in success rate versus press coverage. So He's an elite player all the way around, probably gets off the line of scrimmage better than anyone in the NFL, and now he's going to actually play with a quarterback who isn't rapidly declining before our eyes. So, I mean, I, I expect great things. It's really temp- – I mean, honestly, I know it's, the, it's a giant leap, but it's, it's really tempting to not put Beckham, you know, right up there with Adams or Hopkins as the number one wide receiver just because of, on paper, how great this looks for him and how great of a player we already know that he is. I actually think that I think I'd probably like conservatively would have him as wide receiver four right now behind Adams, Hopkins, Jones, and then Beckham would slot right in there. So I think that like he's around that range four or five, but it's really tempting to not put him at the top because of just how exciting the situation is. Sean, you, Rayvon, and I all have uh, OBJ ranked in the top three. How do you think this is going to shake out just in terms of the role he's going to play in the offense? Uh, coordinated or overseen by Freddie Kitchens and and Todd Monken? You know, I I think it's going to work well. And, you know, they've already said that, you know, he missed a lot by missing OTAs. I think it's critical for him to start building chemistry. Um, So he might not peak until later in the year. But, you know, we saw Baker Mayfield. He doesn't – he likes to spread it around. So he could help some of the periphery receivers. We've talked about it, you know, with Callaway and Joku specifically. But uh, I'm not so certain he's going to be a target monster, but he's going to be incredibly efficient. The offense should get plenty of red zone opportunities. So he's a guy that I could see, you know, leading the league in touchdowns. That's why I have him three. I think he just brings the most upside um, outside of Adams and Hopkins. So I'd I'd be willing to take him over Julio, Juju, or Michael Thomas. Um, But, yeah, the the upside in the offense is insane. And, you know, we we could talk about it, but he's had some uh, troubled injury history. Um, 
so I do have him missing just a little bit more games played than these other guys, and he still came up as three. I think it's 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 worth just investing in the upside to kind of sacrifice the what he appears to be sort of an injury risk. All right, Sean, you mentioned that you would take OBJ ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster, who is going off the board in round two pretty consistently. Matt, I am bold enough to have <laughs> Juju ranked number one. I know I'm being aggressive on this, and, and I know I don't need to take him number one in order to get a side <laughs> that he has as the potential number one wide receiver. But um, it's a big uh, opportunity that he has to play without Antonio Brown there. Uh, of course, it could also be a challenge. Uh, he's going to be the known number one wide receiver on that team. He's going to get more defensive attention. Uh, is he going to continue to play primarily in the slot? Can he still be a strong number one if he plays only in the slot? Uh, what are your thoughts we're going to see out of him? Yeah, I think this is really a conversation worth having and unpacking because I think the natural assumption is, yeah, one player leaves another player gets the volume boost. And I think that's probably the way this works out. And I'm still pretty bullish on Juju from a fantasy perspective, but I do think the impact of not having Antonio Brown there is huge because these two players might as well have been playing different positions last year. I mean, that's how strong, this is how strongly I feel about receiver alignment and, and the way it impacts how you perform. Like I almost just don't care at all from a raw stats perspective, comparing Juju to Antonio Brown because of just how different their roles are. Like Brown last year in reception perception spent 76% of his snaps outside and 76% of his snaps on the line. You know, he's playing X receiver. He's playing against top cornerbacks. He's playing press coverage. You know, he faced press coverage on 47.5% of the routes I charted saw man coverage on 70.3% of the routes I charted for him. Now, Juju, on the other hand, he's got 55.6% of his snaps in the slot, 59.7 off the line of scrimmage. You know, he's able to get that free release. He's able to move around. So that causes him to see press coverage on 28.3% of his routes and man coverage on 55.1% of his routes. You know, those are drastically different numbers because as you'd expect, if you're seeing more zone coverage, your success rates are naturally higher. And I think Juju crushes it in the role that he's in. I, I think it's a little more difficult if you're playing that role without an outside alpha receiver, but I'm not worried from a production standpoint, like overall counting stats. I think Juju will still be there at the end of the year. I, I would have him as a top 10 receiver, no question. But I think the overall efficiency of the Steelers offense, I think that's what, take, what will take a hit without Antonio Brown there, even if from you know a yards per target perspective or catch rate perspective, Antonio Brown wasn't up there last year. I think just having that presence, he's one of the true coverage dictators in the NFL. And maybe Juju steps up and he's he's so young, he's so good that I think that he could step up and become that player. But it's a it is a huge projection to think that he's going to become that player based on just what we've seen from how he operates on the field over the over the first two years of his career. Yes, it, it is a huge projection. I take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> what I should say is that I, and I, I agree with the points that you've made, and he does play a very different type of position than Antonio Brown played. I, I think even if we see some regression out of the Steelers offense, and I think it's fair to assume that it, it will regress a little, a little bit, um, we are still likely to see Juju get a similar number of targets to what he had last year, potentially even more because some of those yeah. Antonio Brown targets have to go somewhere. And even if we see him regress in his efficiency, when it 
comes to turning targets into receptions and into yards, he's still going to see so many more red zone targets than he saw last year that for me, that is really where the big boost comes in is those 15 touchdowns that Antonio Brown got somewhere. Some of those vanish into thin air because he's not there, but some of those get reallocated to players. And I think Juju is going to get a lot of those. So for me, that is really where the enthusiasm comes in. Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, first off, I have to applaud you again for being bold enough to rank him number one. I Much respect for that. I love it. You kind of hit the nail on the head. When it comes to, you know, just the overall targets and yardage, I don't even know if there's room to grow there. So um, I have him improving the most um, in his touchdown production. Um, I, I have him getting much more of that Antonio Brown share there. So I have my eight and a half touchdowns right now. Um, and that might be low. I, I'm curious to hear kind of what your projection is there. But um, I, I think that's where his upside is going to come is if he can um, inherit, you know, a big piece of the Antonio Brown touchdown pie. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's going to be unfair to expect the Steelers to throw it 675 times again this year. So um, just them becoming balanced might negate kind of the boost he'll get from Antonio being gone in terms of targets. I think the best way to kind of invest in the void Antonio Brown creates is through guys like James Washington, Dante Moncrief, or even Dante Johnson and Vance McDonald. I think that's kind of where you're going to see the most um, growth in the vacuum that Antonio Brown leaves. Just because Juju was so good last year, I don't I don't know how much better he can get. But he is entering his prime. He's he's going to be turning 23 this year, so he definitely has you know top wide receiver upside where you have him ranked. All right, uh, I would love to continue talking about Juju. This could be a Juju Antonio Brown podcast, but uh, let's talk about Mike Evans. Uh, he's a special player. There are only a, a few other players, actually just two other players, Randy Moss and A.J. Green, uh, are the only two other players who, within their first five years in the league each season, have had 1,000 yards receiving. Uh, and Mike Evans is the third guy. Uh, of course, he now is in a new offense with head coach Bruce Arians. Um, I'm curious, Matt, what you think we're going to see, especially uh, the impact of the departure of Deshaun Jackson, Adam Humphreys, the ascension, presumably, of Chris Godwin and O.J. Howard. Uh, what do you think we're going to see here? Yeah, Mike Evans is actually a player that I haven't thought much about because he's, you, as you mentioned, he's special. He is good. Uh, in reception perception, he's actually been a much better separator than I think people would give him credit for. He finished last year at the 82nd percentile, which topped his previous career high when he finished with a 70.3% success rate, and that was back in 2016. And, of course, everybody knows he's dominant in all the contested catch metrics that I track as well. So I think he's a great player, and I think the fact that, you know, I think we're all excited about Chris Godwin. I think we're all excited about OJ Howard, but I do think we've, as a community, as a whole, we've maybe overlooked the fact that like, yeah, Mike Evans could actually just go completely nuclear this year um, because he's the most proven player. We know he's a dominant specimen. Um, and in this offense that we're all giving a boost to these, these number two and number three players or two, a two B whatever in Godwin and Howard with Bruce Arians coming in and the departure of the players that you mentioned, it's hard not to think that Mike Evans shouldn't also get that boost in stock. And for that reason, I would probably break ties ahead of uh, Juju with, with Mike Evans, just because I know and trust the role so much more and, and the potential situation. So, I mean, Evans is a guy I actually haven't been drafting very much of, but like not on purpose only because I just never end up in a position where picks wise he, he comes to me, but yeah, I, I really like his outlook a lot this year. And the more that I think about it, the more that I like it. Sean, I have, Evans ranked 12th, which kind of surprises me because I like him. Like I want to rank him higher and I'm probably going to go back in and readjust the projections a little bit just so I, I get a little bit higher on him, but you have him sixth. What are your thoughts on him? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm just bullish on the Buccaneers passing game in general. Uh, I think Jameis Winston is my highest owned QB in best ball, so I do like stacking him with Evans if I can. The, the loss of Deshaun Jackson, Humphreys, um, should boost his targets even more, which is scary to think. So, you know, I love Evans a lot, and he he's essentially the end of my um, elite wide receiver one tier. So um, he, he's the guy where, you know, I try to get two guys, either him or guys above him. Um, because I just have, uh, you know, it's like a 10 to 15 point drop off from him and the next guy. So he's one of the most critical uh, wide receivers in this tier for me. Yeah, you know, I think Arians will help just kind of um, keep the continuity at quarterback. You know, we won't have to worry about in-game benchings and stuff. I can imagine that would be pretty annoying for an elite receiver like Evans. And I, I went in, I saw he actually averaged one more point in Winston dominant games for what it's worth. So, you know, I think he has that long-term connection with Winston. So I think, um, you know, Winston Evans is, you, that's the stack to invest in specifically in best ball um, contest this year. All right, here it is. This is why people are listening. Antonio <laughs> Brown. So last year I wrote a piece um, that uh, was not well received at the time. I'll just say it. And uh, it was entitled something like Antonio Brown is falling off a cliff and nobody cares. And uh, I will say there are some good points in that piece. And I think throughout the off season, uh, especially uh, in the wake of the Antonio Brown trade, uh, that piece has been viewed more favorably. Uh, but I am aware uh, that it is very possible, maybe even likely that Antonio Brown has not fallen off a cliff. Maybe he just had something wrong with his connection with Ben Roethlisberger last year. Uh, and maybe. Uh, with a new quarterback in Derek Carr, uh, he will be able to unlock the potential uh, that was not realized last year. Matt, when you looked at reception perception for 2018, uh, specifically Antonio Brown's tape, his route running technique, uh, is he still the same guy that he was in the previous five seasons? Let me first say, when I saw you write that piece the middle of last year, I was like, holy hell, that was a power move because I would have <laughs> I would have never had the stones to do it <laughs> and I thought and to your credit too like there aren't just good points in there there are great points in there and I remember reading it and thinking like oh yeah I mean this I mean I disagree but I think that you make a really compelling uh, argument all around so I'm gonna give you some I'm gonna give you some credit for that from a reception perception standpoint last year so that I he was one of the he's actually the player that I charted right away when I started working on reception perception because I was so curious based on your opinion and just obviously knowing that he was going to be traded what I found was that there wasn't much of a drop-off for the fifth year in a row Antonio Brown cleared the 96th percentile in success rate versus man coverage no one else ha has really even come close to sustaining that level of elite separation that level of route running you know his success rate versus press coverage was right in line with what he posted the previous year at 79.2%. As I mentioned earlier in the Juju Smith-Schuster section, he's playing X receiver as much as anyone, and he still shows dominant separation ability. Now, if I'm to theorize, and I'm going to say this is a educated guess, is I'll just say that, as to what went wrong last year with Ben Roethlisberger, I think obviously, look, we all know those two clearly, their relationship from a personal standpoint clearly fell apart last year. But Throughout the year, I had heard that he was, you know, Brown was kind of freelancing, was clearly running routes well, but was freelancing and doing sort of his own thing that Roethlisberger wasn't expecting, which is why the, the connection wasn't there. I also think Roethlisberger just watching these games and charting them for reception perception just missed Brown a lot. And again, could that be because of Brown kind of going off script? 
I don't know. Also, I kind of, the information that I got, I'm like, I could see the Roethlisberger spin being putting on this a little bit, but um, I do, I do know that there was, there was some concerns about the fact Brown was kind of doing his own thing and just trying to work himself open individually without just following the structure of the play. So that's certainly possible as to why this connection was, was off for part of the year or some parts of the year, but all this kind of comes coming back to fantasy. Brown can still be a dominant individual player and it's, literally impossible to make the case that this move is anything but a downgrade for his fantasy stock to go to Oakland. Um, I think that Brown is a timing and precision route runner. And I think Carr is a little bit better than he gets credit for as a timing and precision passer only, even if he won't push the ball down the field. So I think there could be a high reception total for Brown coming to Oakland, but in the end, this is a clear downgrade and for fantasy. Like I can sit here and say that he's still a peak route runner, which I do strongly believe that he is, but I don't, I don't you know, the production is not going to come. Matt, do you know what you call an NFL wide receiver who can't get open within the confines of a play? What? A soon-to-be former NFL wide receiver. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm obviously joking. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was probably too strong on my Antonio Brown uh, dislike last year. And, I mean, the thing is, I have him projected now as the number five overall wide receiver, which uh, is probably too high, but I think he's going to be fed so many targets yeah. in that offense that um, it, it will be hard for him not to finish at least in the top eight if he has something even approaching his career averages in terms of efficiency. Sean, what do, what do you think of this uh, Antonio Brown situation? My medium projections for him are pretty good. I'm being pretty aggressive. I agree with you. I think, you know, without a doubt, he's going to see a ton of targets. Uh, but he's, he's the only receiver in the top 10, right? I definitely have some doubts. There's, there's more uncertainty. So I just feel like his floor is the lowest out of anybody in this tier. So um, I try not to draft him if I can help it. Unfortunately, our, our current mock draft, I had to take him because I had no choice. But, you know, I just think he and Big Ben did have sort of that mind meld where he kind of knew where he'd be and um, they were on the same page and it, it takes some time to get that. So, you know, we'll see how he and Carr look, but that's something that I think takes time. Um, another thing is just seeing how Amari Cooper um, was just frustrating as hell, uh, you know, his first three or four years in the, the Raiders offense and then they trade him to the Cowboys and he becomes, you know, the weak weekly wide receiver one we all figured he'd be so there, there's just little subtle things like that that concern me and I mentioned earlier with Devontae Adams and Hopkins how elite they are they were still able to put up wide receiver one numbers um, even when their QB went down um, and you know if you look at the five games Antonio Brown didn't have big big Ben um, he had Larry Jones which you can compare to guys like Tom Savage TJ Yates and Brett Hundley um he averaged 4.8 receptions for 68 yards and zero touchdowns. And I remember when, whenever Big Ben was out, I, I rank AB as, you know, like a low-end wide receiver too. He, he is that dependent on the quarterback. So, um, and yeah, he didn't catch touchdowns. So every one of his touchdowns in his career has been thrown by Big Ben. So you, just the change is, is so extreme that it does leave some room for, you know, a pretty low floor. But ha having said that, my medium projections are still – Solid. It's just I, I don't want to be taking him this year. Yeah, there's a lot of room for downside. Matt, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Out of the eight wide receivers we've talked about so far, so far, we'll say nine, including Tyree Kill. If one of these guys is to finish outside of the top 30, yet still play, let's say, at least 14 games this year, 
that guy has to be Antonio Brown, right? Yes, I would say so. Just from like, if there's just a complete disaster situation, I think the disaster situation is an easier and more believable story to tell for Antonio Brown than probably any of these other players. Yeah. That's, that's my sense of this. And, and for me, that is why I would want to stay away a little bit from him in drafts, just because even though from the median projection, I think he could have a, another very typically strong Antonio Brown year. The downside just seems to be uh, pretty big. I, I kind of see a, a tear break between Antonio Brown here and then the guys who are coming after him in ADP. We have T.Y. Hilton, Adam Thielen, Keenan Allen, and A.J. Green. Matt, out of those four guys, uh, who is the one that you would be most excited to take in a draft this year? Yeah, it's A.J. Green, and I actually don't think it's particularly close because of these – You, I agree with you a thousand percent. There's definitely a tear break here, but A.J. Green is the only one that I think has the potential to jump into, like, the top five. I don't see a potential for T.Y. Hilton, Adam Thielen. Actually, would I think I still would put Stefan Diggs ahead of Adam Thielen because I'm just a sucker for Diggs. And Keenan Allen, all of those guys, I don't think they have necessarily top five potential in their range of outcomes. A.J. Green probably isn't going to get there, but I think because he's still the best player, he's still the, the most clear alpha on his team among these guys. And if this offense takes a step forward, which some of the offensive line injuries uh, or the offensive line injuries and like retirements lately for the Bengals leave me questioning whether they can take that step as an offense. But I still think overall green is still a great player. I think that he has the potential to suck up the most volume and the most high leverage volume of these guys. And for that reason, like when he gets to the two, three turn, I absolutely can't help myself, but to take him there um, pretty much every single time. Yeah, Matt, your point there about the high leverage volume, I think really is the key there because out of the four, Hilton, Thielen, Allen, and Green, Green strikes me as the only guy who has a a 12 touchdown season within his range of outcomes. Um, I I just don't see that for any of the other three. Sean, what are your thoughts on A.J. Green? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, I think he he does have the most upside. I actually have him ranked 16th, but it's it's not like – I have any particular reason. I just have all, let me see. It's, it's receivers 10 through um, 16. I have separated by about six points. Um, so that, that's just that, that massive like elite wide receiver two tier that we talked about earlier. These are guys that you're going to be getting when you, um, when you have a top four pick. So you'll likely have either like uh, Saquon Barkley, Zeke Elliott, uh, Kamara or McCaffrey. And then you can just snag any two of these guys. And I think that's like, the optimal start to a draft. Um, but I would, I would lean, if you're in a PPR format, I would still lean Keenan Allen. Um, I, I know that Hunter Henry's returning. Uh, I think Hunter Henry and Mike Williams are, you know, they're going to fight over the touchdowns, but with Tyrell Williams gone, Keenan Allen's still going to see a massive target share. Um, but you know, he's, he's not really a threat in the red zone. So you pretty much know what you're going to get with him a ton of catches and a ton of yards. So I think a PPR format specifically, I would lean Ken Allen out of all these guys. Matt, I'd like to get your thoughts on Allen. Last year, Chris Raybon and I had a, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right way of politely phrasing it. Not like it needs to be phrased politely, but we disagreed. (laughs) Uh, I thought AJ Green was better. He thought Keenan Allen was better. Uh, I would say even though uh, Green uh, didn't finish the season, uh, suffered an injury, uh, I still think Green, just to, to my eye, uh, he, he looked better, uh, more explosive. But what are your thoughts on, on Keenan Allen uh, and, and those two guys as comparisons? 
Yeah, I, I was actually kind of having a similar back and forth with myself because I don't have any friends to have back and forth with, I guess. But uh, I was thinking about this myself because I was thinking, like, who's the best big route running receiver over the last five years? And I think Michael Thomas, of course, I mentioned all of his success earlier, but he's only been here for three years or so. Like with Allen and Green, I think those are two guys you can consider. Keenan Allen's been dominant in reception perception. He's finished great against man and press coverage consistently in his career. And uh, he's only playing inside more, but still I think he can separate versus anybody. But I would go Green slightly as the better player um, because of what he does at the catch point. And Allen is interesting because he kind of just thumps people on for like a handful of routes like slants curls digs and posts which hey that's great like those are the primary functions of of an NFL offense is to run those routes those in-breaking routes especially in the modern NFL but green runs every route on the tree runs it incredibly well he's more of a vertical threat than Keenan Allen is and you know last year he was great at the catch point actually finished with the best contested catch rate I've charted over the last five years so I think from a peak perspective I think green is the the better player Allen's not far behind but it's a, a slight a slight edge to green all right uh ideal time uh on my part to ask that question while Chris Raybon wasn't here to uh to give his his counterpoint but uh anyway I'm, I'm sure on a future episode he will be more than happy in my absence to talk about how great Keenan Allen is uh Matt this has been a lot of fun to have you uh do you want to take a minute to talk about what you and the crew have going on at Yahoo a lot of fun things going on um, at Yahoo right now. Uh, t- t- I mentioned the podcast earlier with Liz Loza and I were going to be going twice a week in August. So we have a lot of fun with that. It's a little bit different than I think most, you know, super info heavy podcasts, but we try to mix a good insight with also some uh, fun, you know, banter and everything like that. Fantasy Football Live, our live show on Sunday mornings, getting a little bit of a facelift this year, primarily because I'm going to be on the show every week, the full time. And hey, that's a good face to lift it with. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and other than that, you know, we just launched our best ball game, which you can now get uh, on the Yahoo Fantasy app. It's a lot of fun. The draft functionality is great. So, you know, jump in and, and we'll be doing a lot of fun content based on that. So yeah, I mean, we got a lot of fun stuff going on and um, I'll be sure to let everybody know about it on Twitter and everything. All right. That sounds great. Be sure to follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. You can follow Sean and me in the action network app at the underscore odds maker and Matt at the Oracle. Use the app to get real time odds and track your bets for free on our next NFL episode. We will break down the rest of the wide receiver position till then that is going to do it for the action network podcast. Please rate and review the show on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode.